This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101. We are coming to you from the North Maine woods. We are on a bear hunt with Russell Pond Camps here in Maine. Had a good time so far. I am joined with a new friend of mine. Tom, give us a quick introduction to yourself, man. Oh, my name is Tom Lankowski. I'm from Pennsylvania, uh, around Erie, Pennsylvania, northwest corner, 61 years old, and I've been coming up here for four years. I do a lot of the bear skinning camp, and uh, it's actually a business trip for me. Come up and try to round up some bears, take back for my mounts. One of the world's greatest taxidermists is what I hear. I'll go for that. <laughs> now, what's the name of your taxidermist business there? Lynx Taxidermy. Lynx Taxidermy in Pennsylvania near Erie. So if you need any taxidermy work, find my friend Link. Um, give me a quick rundown of your bear hunting experience up to this point. Well, I um, I came up here four years ago. My son was coming up on a bear hunt, and I had hunted with uh, Joe Cabral, the owner of the Russell Pond Camps out in Idaho, and I knew he ran a camp in, in Maine, so my son said he wanted to go on a bear hunt. And I said, well, why don't you go with Joe? We know who he is. We know what kind of outfit he runs. And I said, if you're going to spend the money, spend it on somebody that we've had experience with. And so he and his buddy from high school decided they were going to come up bear hunting. And I kind of wanted to go, but I just had some other things going on. Well, Joe called my son and said, hey, what's your dad doing the week you're coming up? We got we need somebody to come up and skin some bears. We need a taxidermist in camp. See if he wants to come up. Well, this was a week before he was leaving. So I had to try and find the right moment with telling my wife that I'd like to go <laughs> bear hunting. about short notice, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were in church, and after church, um, this is going to be a long story. That's you, when you tell them is when they're all spiritual. You break the news when they're spiritual. That's right. I'm, I've been around the block a few times. But so anyway, we're in church, and Kevin, my son, said, when are you going to ask mom if it's okay to go bear hunting? I said, well, they're having a dinner in between the two services. I'll ask her then because she's just getting out of church, and she's had food, and she's happy, you know. <laughs> so 
we were eating, sitting there eating the dinner and, and, uh, my son comes down, sits and he's like, did you ask her yet? And I'm like, oh, Kevin didn't ask her yet. <laughs> he just my, killed it. <laughs> yeah. And my wife's sitting right there and my wife says, ask her what? And I said, uh, well, Joe up at the bear camp, Kevin's going to, wants me to come up and skin bears. I said, it'd be a good trip and he's not going to charge me a whole lot because I'm working in camp and, and I can get some business out of it. And she said, go ahead and go. And then I said, do you have a boyfriend? <laughs> it never was that easy before. So three days later, we were on our way up here. And we came up and archery hunted and had a good time. We all shot bears with our bows and um, went, went from there. I've been coming up ever since, every year. Now, we're not having that kind of luck this week. No, not this not, week. Not this week. This has been a tough week. Um, neither me or Link have seen bears this week yet. We're uh, Tonight will be night four of sitting, and we haven't seen any bears yet. But uh, we still got time. Still I, saw, got time. I saw two the first. We came up a little bit earlier to get uh, try and get some work out of the first camp, and he let us hunt Saturday night, and I had two bears come in. Well, oh, yeah. one came in, couldn't get, didn't give me an opportunity, and then I get dark in the woods a little earlier and does out where they pick you up and walked out to where they pick us up, and there was one. 40 yards down the road. That's a good sized bear too. So if I'd had a gun, I'd had them, but I like using my bow. Yeah. That's what, uh, that's what this podcast is all about bow hunting. And so I, uh, I will say this, just a, just a quick preference for the, for the episode. We are at bear camp and we are in the main, uh, mess hall. So you might hear people coming in and out. Uh, there's a bunch of bear hounds right outside. So you might hear some barking. Um, but that's just the nature of the beast. That's what that's what Bear Camp is all about. So um, before we dive in, I do want to give a quick thank you to our friends over at American Hunt. American Hunt is a website where you can log in. You'll get a kick out of this. American Hunt is a website you can log in, and it's like Airbnb-style land leasing. So if you were driving through the state of Oklahoma and thought, man, I'd really like to hunt in the morning, you could log on and you can lease land by the day from landowners. Well, and so nice. if you ever want to come to Kansas and, and hunt a piece of ground, Obviously, you don't have a year-long lease. You can just log on and see where's their land near me and lease that land by the day. So American Hunt um, is changing the way that, that we can lease land. It's also changing the way that you can list your land for lease. You don't have to give somebody the hunting rights to your land all year long. You can lease it by the day. So go check out AmericanHunt.com. Now, you've got some pretty interesting stories about Alaska. That's what I want to hear about. Okay. I've never had the pleasure of going to Alaska. Yep. Uh, it's definitely on my dream hunt list. But uh, your son is a pilot, correct? No, he's a fly fishing guide. Fly fishing guide. Yep. Um, now tell me about uh, tell me some Alaska stories. Well, I I went up about oh, it's been twenty years ago. I went up, and our local one of our local knights, Columbus, used to run a um, a raffle, and they used to do it on the Pennsylvania daily number, which is uh, a thousand numbers. So you had a one in thousand chance of winning. But if you were the seller of the winning ticket, you got to go along. So me being in the taxidermy business, I have a lot of contacts with hunters and I would sell a hundred to 200 tickets, which increased my odds pretty well. Yeah. And the second year of selling it, I sold the winning ticket. And this was for a fishing trip? Or no, this is for a moose hunt. Alaskan moose hunt. Moose hunt. Yep. Wow. And, um, so obviously, you know, that's not a cheap date to go up there and Absolutely not. And um it's all, everything was paid for, the flight, the guide fee, everything. License is all taken care of. So, it I was I was obviously pretty excited cuz it's something that I couldn't afford to do on my own, right. you know. So um 
went up there and um, the guide in the, the camp was great and saw moose. I probably saw 40 bull moose and I was looking for a big one. And, you know, I knew it was going to be a one-time thing. So I thought I've seen what comes out of here that I'm not going to shoot a, a small one. And small one there is a big one here in Maine. Yeah. And I passed up half a dozen legal bulls and I saw half a dozen huge bulls and um, had an opportunity at one. We had to make about a two hour hike to get to it and go through a patch of pines. And we watched this bull bed down and he was probably between 65 and 70 inches, went up there and or went down, made the stock on it, had to go through this stand at the pines and not allowed to use any radios out there to tell what other what's going on to your fellow hunters so we had there was a two-on-one hunt and the guy I sold the winning ticket to was up on he stayed up on the hill where we left and we had a couple flags and we had signals we had predetermined that he would do if we got out there and the bull went one way or another another way or if it had got up and left or whatever we come through those pines and we're you know obviously sneaking up towards this opening and the opening had five foot brush in it that was their opening so we're trying to find this bull and we we can't see it we're just slowly creeping up to where we had our landmarks from up top and then when you get down there it's a whole different ball game it's uh, looks completely different so we come out there and i expected to get a shot at this big moose and after probably looking for an hour we couldn't find it so we put the monoculars up on our spotter up on the hill and he was giving us the the gigs up the moose is gone he gave us that signal so we hiked back up to him about, took about two, two and a half hours uphill and it's not an easy walk. And we got up there and so what happened? And he said, when you guys went to that timber, there was a cow and a calf in there and they came through and ran right past that bull and the bull got up and ran, ran right him. after him. Yep. So <sighs> that was the end of that day. So, um, did see a grizzly, couldn't, didn't have a grizzly tag, but that was, that was pretty neat. It's just out there eating blueberries and within a couple hundred yards of us i wow. did see we did see two young grizzlies the second day i believe it was and we were we had to get to the down this valley and up the other side to get where we wanted to do, do some spotting spotting and um on the way there i look out and i say hey there's something out in the middle of that valley there and we get the binoculars he says yeah there's those two there's two grizzlies running around there two probably a brother and a sister or brother and brother they're probably two-year-olds and he says, they're kind of in our way. And I said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to walk right to them. I said, then what do we do? He said, well, nine, nine times out of 100, they're going to stand up, smell us. The wind's blowing to them, and they're just going to run away. But put one in the chamber and be ready, because if they get within 30 yards, then you, gotta, you might have to shoot them. So we had three guns with us, and... We started walking to him. We got about 100 yards from him. And just like he said, they stood up on their hind legs and put their noses up and didn't even didn't see us yet, but smelled us and turned around and took off. And that was kind of interesting. I bet that was eerie, though. Oh, yeah. Well, you never know, you know. <laughs> Man, so. I can imagine because uh, I can say what I want because I don't think she listens to the podcast, but uh, my wife is here filming for me this week, and uh, every noise we hear in the woods, she, she freaks out, thinks it's a bear. <laughs> and... Uh, I have to explain to her, I'm like, listen, they're terrified of you. If they weren't terrified of you, then we would just stand out here and let them come to us and shoot them. Yeah. Um, but no, um, so did you end up killing a moose? No. The guy sold the ticket to kill a 70-incher. It was cool. big. On the last hour of his, he had to leave before I did because our flights were booked right. differently. 
and he had till noon to see the moose. About 10 o'clock we saw one, and it was coming down the, through the bottom. And so he went down after it, and the guide went with him, and I stayed up. I was the spotter. And they no sooner got down there, and I heard a couple shots. And then, obviously, I'm waiting to see what happens. And then they come up, and, and this moose come within 10 yards. Of them. They called, and it just come running right in. Man. And it was huge. So we went down real quick. It wasn't, wasn't very far. It was 20 minutes we were down there where the moose was. And uh, took pictures, and he was on his way. Packed it up and left. He left, yep. One of my friends, um, so he is the past president um, of Pope and Young. He was on a bear hunt, a grizzly bear hunt. And shot this bear on the beach with his bow. Well, that bear turned and started charging him. And so he had to shoot it with a rifle, um, obviously. I mean, it was coming right at him. And so that bear drops at their feet. And you can watch this video on YouTube. You might have already seen it. It went pretty viral there for a little bit. But uh, dropped at their feet. And uh, he was telling me this story. And that bear would have easily been a Pope and Young bear. But he couldn't enter it in because they had to finish off with a rifle. So, yeah, but that, that video is absolutely crazy and I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I can't remember what to search to find it, but, um, it was a crazy video and those grizzlies, man, those grizzlies are, are just a different beast. They're just a different animal. There's no two bones about it. Uh, so a deer season rolling up on us quickly. Tell us your most memorable deer hunt. Doesn't have to be your biggest, but just that, well, that actually, hunt that sticks out in your mind. Actually, it was my biggest. I, um. I was bow hunting not too far from my house, and um, I was up in my tree stand, and it was the second, third day of the season. This is probably about 15 years ago, and um, I had shot at a cat just for target practice, and uh, I shouldn't probably say that, but I did. (laughs) And so I wasn't seeing anything, and I couldn't figure out why. It was just one of those perfect nights you're thinking, this is a night. So I I took a shot at this cat. It was a wild cat, and... um, I went to retrieve my arrow and got down out of my tree stand and, and had to go a different way than I normally went. When I got down a tree stand, the farmer had cut the cornfield that I was hunting and cut about 12 rows all the way around. And then he cut a road about 12 rows down the middle. And when I went to get that arrow, I, I picked it up and I looked and, and there were deer in these openings that I couldn't see from my tree stand. Right. And there was still some light left. And, and I said, Oh, I'm going to try and stock one here. I got the corn stalks to help me out and all that. And, I like where this is going. Yeah, and it was pretty neat. But if I wouldn't have taken the shot of that cat, I would have went out a different way. And never this this whole story would never happen. So I'm walking down right on the edge, taking step by step, real slow. And I get about halfway down the cornfield, and this buck jumps over the fence to my left. And he's about 30 yards, and he had a nice rack on him, beautiful rack. And he he made a run into the cornfield, and then deer started popping out of this cornfield all around me. I could hear him running behind me. And it wasn't me that spooked him. It was his buck running in the corn, made some noise. And I'm like, oh, man, that was a nice one. So I said, maybe he snuck out the other side. So I took a few more steps to see if he was on the other side of the cornfield. And he comes out of the cornfield and stops 20 yards broadside from me. And I just, it's the only deer I've ever shot in my life from, from the ground with my bow. And I drew back and I put it right on his shoulder. I actually hit him in front of his shoulder wasn't sure where I hit him, and he he just took off as soon as I hit him and, and ran right through the fence. And I said, that's not normal. Normally, they jump the fence. He he must be hit pretty good. So I backed out of there and didn't know how great the hit was and went home, got a, got my dad and another buddy, and I said, I hit a nice buck, and uh, let's go track him. You know, let's give him about an hour. 
I said, I have no clue where I hit him, but he ran into that barbed wire fence like it wasn't there. I said, he's got something wrong with him. He's hurting. So we went in there with the flashlights and, and great blood trail. And as soon as he hit that fence, he made a hard right, right towards where we parked the truck and right down a four-wheeler path. And we're falling to blood. And all of a sudden, my dad says, there he is. His head's up like he was laying there still alive. And so we're sneaking up. I got another arrow ready to put finish him with, and he's just not moving. And we get up here. He was 21 inches wide. He was cool. in full velvet. He was nine point. Scored 127 and seven eighths. Biggest deer I ever shot. And that was big for our area that time. That was before we had point restrictions. Now we're getting bigger deer. But it was it was neat. And he was sterile. That's why he had a velvet rack in the first week of October in Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend of mine, uh, one of the other guys that that uh, works with the show. He uh, he saw a buck just this year in Missouri in February, still in velvet. Yep. And it was a real small deer. I mean, just a little fork and horn. But um, yeah, in February. And yeah. we were wondering why would that be? So that it's because they're sterile. Yep. Yeah. Really? And it... Uh, I didn't know it at the time when I when I first saw it. I didn't notice the velvet. I just thought it was normal right. normal horns. Well, you're not looking for velvet that time right. of year. Yeah, and I had a I had a guy come into my taxidermy shop, and he had heard about me shooting this buck, and he just wanted to tell me this. He said I was turkey hunting last May, and that deer walked right up to me with a full velvet rack. You know, really? usually they're just starting to poke out of their their head that time of year, and that's why it's just you know it's just sterile. So just year round, always had full velvet always rack. Always had a rack on. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend one time. Um, he was walking to a stand in Kansas, and uh, this this buck stood up in the field and started coming at him, like, aggressively. Middle of the rut, started coming at him aggressively. And uh, got to the point where he was like, this this deer's coming at me. Like, I, he's going to fight me. And so he got down on his knee, um, you know, like knelt down and he put his bow up in front of his face, just hoping, you know, maybe I can keep his horns away from me. I mean, that could get to you and puncture. I mean, it hurt. So he held his bow up in front of his face and that, that buck was charging at him almost full speed stops 20 yards, turns broadside. And so my friend, it was a nice buck. So my friend gets an arrow out, knocks it, shoots this buck. Perfect shot. Yeah. Perfect shot. Never found the deer. The next day, was walking back to his blind and he sees that buck chasing a doe with a huge hole right in the vitals. I'm talking just a, a you would think this deer would he have did. died instantly. Yeah. He went 20 yards and died. But still, the day the next day he was still chasing a doe with a big hole in his side. Um, I do think they found the, the deer um, like a year later. Um, so it had died know, from the yeah. wound probably, yeah. Uh, like a year later, just, just bones and horns. But um, hmm. yeah, just... Man, those deer once they once they get into that mode, they're it's hard stopping them. Well, if you I can you know on that note, if you want me to talk about, it, I had a I had a guy bring a deer in in gun season. It had been shot with an arrow right into its its right eye, and it was broke off flush with the the skull bone, and it was a nice eight point. So he wanted to get the skull with the European mount done with it, and when I clean that hair off and they, I got the skull cleaned up for the European mount that broadhead was in the sinus cavity and it already had bone calcified around that broadhead really and it, it, I actually he ended up I never saw him again after he brought in I still have it in, in my shop and it just tells you what those deer can go through can you imagine a human doing something like that 
getting that's, that's crazy. They, they don't have a choice, but he he said that deer was coming down the wood through the woods like it had two eyes. No, I uh, I so on the way up here. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here, and I want to just hit on this for a moment. On the way up here, I stopped at Niagara Falls. Never seen it before. You've been there, I'm guessing? Half a dozen times, yeah. Yeah, It's not far. That's just in your backyard. Yeah. Um, And I couldn't help but imagine, as an outdoorsman, I couldn't help but imagine what Niagara Falls was like before society made it into an attraction. Um, You know, I imagine just a couple deer hunters hearing a brook, hearing a stream, and they think, well, there's water over here. Let's go check it out. Yeah. And they roll up on this waterfall that is just enormous, putting out, I I looked it up, 600,000-something feet of water every two minutes or something. And, I mean, just... It's unreal. I can't imagine being being out in the woods and just rolling up on that thing. Um, Just gorgeous. And I think about about all of our kind of state parks that way and what they were like before we put building in them, before we put sidewalks all the way through there, before we cleared out all the woods around them. I mean, the Grand Canyon. I mean, it used to just sit there and, and right. nobody thought, I mean, just crazy. These places aren't man-made. These places don't depend on us coming in and maintaining them. Right. So, I mean, what was it like to to for somebody to just, find that while they're out hunting and go back to their buddies and say, Hey, you got to come check this out. Yeah. You know, I remember my dad, my dad, uh, used to own some acreage, um, uh, in the Ozark national forest in Arkansas. We bought this property and, uh, we went out exploring it, riding dirt bikes and, and, uh, scouting for turkeys. And I mean, just looking around and we hear water and, and we think, well, there must be a stream run through here. And so we started, you know, following the water and we found like a 60 foot waterfall, gorgeous waterfall and, uh, just a beautiful place. Yeah. And I thought about that times a hundred when somebody Found Niagara acquired Falls. this piece of land or was out exploring just public land and found Niagara Falls. They go back to their buddies and say, Hey, I, I just found, you got to come check this out. And then their buddies bring buddies <laughs> and then their buddies bring buddies. And all of a sudden thousands of people visit it every day. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know why that, that, that just peaked everything in my mind about what was this like before it, was made Civilized. into yeah. an attraction. I mean, yep. now there's skyscraping hotels next to it and casinos. Yeah. And, and they put lights on it. So it, the mist is colored yep. at night. And I mean, but used to, that was just there. Yep. And, and people just found it. Um, now before we go on, I do want to give a quick thank you to our friends. I've already mentioned them, uh, Pope and young, a quick thank you to our friends over at Pope and young. Pope and Young, for, for guys like me and you, Link, Pope and Young is, they're the voice of us as bow hunters. And, and if you're a bow hunter and you aren't a member of Pope and Young, I, I would highly encourage you to become a member of Pope and Young because they still work to create new opportunities for us as bow hunters. That's their goal, to create new opportunities for us as bow hunters. Um, so the guys over at Pope and Young, uh, go check them out, uh, especially for information uh articles information uh but but their job is to promote preserve and protect our passion for bow hunting so um if you're listening to this and you're not a member of pope and young i would highly encourage you uh to go check them out now you mentioned when you told that deer hunting story that it was the perfect condition you know we we have those nights where it's like this is it i'm mm-hmm. gonna see a monster i'm gonna shoot a monster for me that was last night i get in the blind and i told my wife within the first five minutes i was like we're going to see bears tonight. This is just 
picture perfect, cooling off so nice. Uh, we had a little bit of a mist coming in. I'm like, this is just perfect. But we didn't see any bears. What do you think is going on up here? Well, from what the guides have been saying, there's there's a lot of berries around now. This There weren't any last week. They came they're in late. Ju- they're just coming in now, and they feed on the natural stuff before they hit the baits. And we as hunters thinking are thinking that, man, you think they'd come to the easy opportunity and get the bait and then go get the other stuff. Uh, I think it's working the other way around. Yeah. They're <laughs> filling up during the day, and then they're hitting our baits at night. Yeah. Because yeah. from what I've heard, uh, every bait is getting hit daily. Right. Um, they're just not being hit while we're there. You know, that's yeah. part of hunting. Uh, so if you're a new hunter, I just I just want to encourage you, um, stay in there. You know, a lot of times we think, well, this just isn't working for me. I'm just not a good hunter. Uh, I don't, I'm not seeing any animals or whatever. I must be too loud. Or This just isn't for me. Um, just hang in there. Because, and, and this has kind of been my my thinking throughout this whole hunt. It takes a matter of seconds for your whole week to change. It takes a matter of seconds for your whole season to change. You know, I'm sure you've been there where you, you've hunted days, weeks out of the season and not seen bucks. And then it just takes that three One seconds. Time. Yep. That three seconds for your whole time to change, for your whole year to change. So uh, just hang in there because, uh, I mean, like like Link said, um, they're not always going to come right where we want them to. Even though we've put out the bait, even though we've set the stage perfectly, that doesn't mean they're always going to come. Um, so just hang in there and, and hang tight. Now you shot a pretty nice bear here, didn't you? Uh, the biggest one I shot was about 150, 160 pounds. Which at this point I would be thrilled with. Yeah. That's about average size for up here. I think. Was that with a bow? Yep. Yeah. It was a bow. First time I was up, I shot that one. And then, then the following year I shot another one. And last year I, I missed one. Tell me the story of that, of that, that first bear, that big bear. The first one, um, Shot it on the fourth day of the hunt. It was kind of like this right now. The guys were consistently bringing bringing in bear every night. There was only 18 hunters in camp that night and ended up 14 killed. Three had opportunities and one person never saw a bear. But um, just in a stand and and I had hunted two other stands before that. And then he said, I'm going to switch you up Thursday, put you in another stand. Actually, he put me in it Wednesday because I got in there. I said, somebody's been in this stand already, you know, and I took a couple pictures and I showed Tim, my my son's buddy, and said, yeah, that's where I was. And I'm like, oh, somebody's already been here. Well, after that thought, about a half hour later, I see a little bit of black. And if you see black, it's only going to be one thing up here. And it went right to the bait and gave me an open shot and took it. Now... What 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 is what's the fascination you think with bear hunting? That's a good question. I I I like it just because it's something different. You know, yeah. you know, I've killed a lot of deer and still deer hunt, but I like coming up and trying the opportunity to get a bear. Yeah. You know, some people say I would never hunt bear over bait. Well, in this area, if you don't hunt them over bait, you might see one run across the road. You know, you're not going to see anything up here further than fifty yards. Yeah. Thick. And, it's yeah. thick up here. If and, you've never been to North, North Main Woods, you can't, you don't have a shot past 50 yards. Right. It, no no way. I yeah. mean, just it's thick. And most of the places you can see, if they didn't clear out and clear out the area around the bait or you towards your tree nothing. stand, you wouldn't see anything. And they're, they're a quiet animal. They come in and you won't hear them break a stick. All of a sudden it's like, how did that bear get there? It's right. like it just poof. There it is. And I've been in some stands where I could see a little bit, like with 50 yards and 
Still. Two, two years ago, I shot the bear. I looked at my watch just to see what time it was, and I looked up, and there's a bear right there at the bait. Never heard him. Never saw him coming in, and I had a little bit of room to see him coming. It's just, they're like a ghost. They're that's quiet. What, that's what I tell my wife. Every time she hears a little twig or leaf rattle, she says, is that a bear? And I'm like, if you hear them, it's probably not a bear. Probably not a bear. But there's, yep. of course, there's 5,746 chipmunks right there <laughs> around your, your your blind. And I dude, I had, I think, six chipmunks come into my blind uh, last night. Six chipmunks come into my blind. Um, and I'd shoo them off and get them back out of there, but... Chipmunks are crazy. Um, now, I wanted to say something about the fascination for bear hunting for me is, well, A, they can kill you. And that, that's just, you know, for, for my wife, it freaks her out. But for me, it's just like that's a whole nother just kind of element to the game. Now, is a black bear going to? No. Chances are no. Um, but it can. And that that just that mindset of it could if it wanted to fascinates me. Now, also what I like about bear hunting Bears get so much older than deer. Um, you know, I think I think Joe, the, you know, the owner here, he told me they had a bear on camera that had to be twenty years old. Had I believe be. that. And it's just, you know, if you kill an eight-year-old buck, that's an old buck. And so you think this bear has lived now over two times the age of a big deer. That's just, it's fascinating. The, the I mean, you can kill a bear as old as I am. Yeah. I mean, and, and that bear has lived. And learn so much. I mean, that, that that bear's smart. If it's made it 20 years and you trick a 20-year-old bear and you, you harvest a 20-year-old bear, you've accomplished something. Right. Because in that 20 years, it's seen and felt and experienced probably everything. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but when we were coming in, we noticed how vast this area is. You know, it's it's just, there's bear around here that don't see Never any, seen a person. Never seen a person. Might have heard a vehicle going up and down the road, but just I, people don't see them and they're just... There's probably bears that have never even heard of vehicle. I believe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're hunting. We're hunting 475. The the Russell Pond Camps uh, here in Maine uh, has the rights to hunt 475 square miles. When you think about that, you you've got areas that are five miles from a road. So these bears, you know, that you're right. They've never seen a person. They've never heard a person. They've never. Smelled one. Smelled one. They've never yeah. heard a vehicle. They don't know the smell of gasoline. They don't know. I mean, yeah, they don't know. All of a sudden, they just find a barrel full of goodies, and <laughs> they think, "Well, what's this their, here for?" <laughs> and they're territorial, so you know it's in their territory, and and um, they found a, a quick snack, and that's why you'd be thinking you'd be seeing them every night. But now I wish happen. I had internet to to Google this and confirm this. Um, but they told me that a, a bear's home range is miles bigger than a deer's. I don't know. I, I wish I had. I wish, again, we don't have any internet up here, but I wish I had internet to confirm that. But that's another thing that plays into that. It, that fascination with me is three nights ago, this bear could have been 20 miles from here. And it's just, you know, when we're deer hunting, especially in Kansas, when we're deer hunting, we've got pictures of those bucks all year long. That's where they live. That's where they're at. Now, in the rut, you'll get some satellite deer, you know, deer on excursions or vacations um, that are just cruising for does but for the for the majority of the the part those deer live there those that's just yeah. where they're at yeah. you know they're familiar with those woods they're familiar with that cornfield they're familiar with that creek that's where they're at but these bears have such a wide home range and they're in such expanded forest that they could have been anywhere and it's just fascinating to me 
Yeah, it is. They also have eyelids, or they have a, also have eyelashes. <laughs> no, um, we've also seen quite a bit of moose. And that's that's been really cool to me. Yeah, you know, that's not some, especially where we're at. That's not something I've ever seen in the in the woods for sure. But you know, our our zoos don't even have moose, so it's like it's cool to watch them. Yeah, and usually they're out on the roads. Of course, that's where we're at is on the roads. You don't see too many from the stand, but I heard heard a cow and a calf from the stand. A couple nights ago, and yeah, they that, said they said I heard a moose. I I explained to them the sound I heard. Uh, really, I'd never. I can only say it was a horse. That's all I. You know, I'm like, there's a stinking horse up here, and uh, coming out. You know, I explained the noise to him. Like, yeah, that was a moose. Uh, he was well, probably 50, 60 yards behind me, ways off. But uh, yeah, I heard well, one in the stand. I'll turn the interview around now. I should. Why don't Why don't you tell him about the four wheeler you heard last night? <laughs> okay, so. So I come out of my stand last night and uh, I told my guide, old Joey, I told, told Joey, I'm like, dude, I heard an ATV or four-wheeler back there. I said, it was just, just right past my barrel. Is there a road down there? I mean, what is it? And at first he was really confused. He said, there shouldn't be any four-wheelers He said, there shouldn't be, there. shouldn't be any four-wheelers or ATVs even past the gate we had to check in at. And so even Joey didn't really get it at first. You know, he was kind of sitting there thinking, and you're the one that piped up and said it was a grouse drumming. And that's exactly what it sounded like. But it sounded like it just full wheeler just running. Yeah. And and I told Joey, I'm like, what? Well, it didn't even it never revved up. It never like drove anywhere. You know, it wasn't like I heard it over here and then I followed the sound. It just kind of sat there just an idle. <laughs> and you piped up and said that was a grouse drumming. I'd never heard that before. I'd never I never uh we don't have grouse in Kansas, never had them in Arkansas where I was from, so I had no idea what it was. Yeah. But yeah, that was a, w- a weird noise. Well, the reason I remember that, because when I was younger, when I first started archery hunting, when I was about 16, I remember being in my tree stand and I'm like, somebody's having a tough time starting their lawnmower. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's they've like. tried it like 20 times and it won't start. And I came home and told my dad and he's pretty much like, shouldn't be anybody out there with a lawnmower. And we never came up with a solution until a couple years later. I'm like, that wasn't a lawnmower. I saw one drum in front of me. I could see it. And it, it's kind of neat, you know. And that's that's two years later, I figured out that's all I was hearing was a, a grouse drum and not somebody trying to start their lawnmower. <laughs> For two years, you were sitting there trying to figure out who in the world is trying to start a lawnmower out there. Yeah. Um, is bear meat pretty good table fare? I like it. It depends on, uh, like any other meat, how it's prepared and how it's taken care of and where it's from. I mean, there's bears in Pennsylvania where I'm from. People that just won't eat them because they live out of garbage dumpsters half yeah. their life. You know, they're eating garbage. What are they going to eat up here? Nothing that anything that's natural except for the only thing unnatural is this time of year when we're baiting them. Right. You and know? we're still, they're still giving them quality stuff. Yeah. They're not, they're they're not, not giving them, you know. Yeah. They're not giving them as many sweets as they used to. When I used to come up here the first time, they were giving them donuts and peeps and stuff like yeah. that. Those marshmallow peeps. and That's what they bait with in Oklahoma. They'll go to, uh, they'll go to the donut shops and say, we want your, your day olds and your, you know, the ones you're going to throw out, give them to us. And they'll yeah. leave with barrels full of donuts and then just go throw them out in the woods yeah. for bears. Now, that's what I have heard. I have heard bears up here when they're feeding on berries, their, their meat is so much sweeter because it's saturated in berry juice, I mean, essentially. But it should be so much sweeter because they've been eating berries. At certain times of the year, I don't know what they're eating in in the, when there's no berries and nuts around because they're not, you know, around right then. 
I don't know. They're opportunists probably. If they find a carcass, they're going to try and eat, yeah. eat the meat off of that. Yeah, you know? they. I mean, they, they, they told us that, that uh, maybe Woody can give us the information here, but they, they told us that it doesn't happen often, but a lot of times, you know, if they have to leave a bear laying out um, overnight, that other bears will come and feed on that bear. Yeah. Um, so, they. I mean, like you said, they are opportunists. Um, now, Again, deer season is rolling up on us quick. Uh, have you started preparations for deer season yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got my food plots going and got my stands up and and um, been, been shooting, obviously. was shooting before we came up here, you know, getting ready for it. But, yeah, we're ready. My sons, my sons are ready. And So what all do you do? What all do you do leading up to deer season to ensure success? Well, you can never ensure success, but um, <laughs> try to ensure success. Do my scouting. I, I, um, I guess I'm old school. I, I, I hunt the same stands I've had luck in for the past twenty years, and I'll hunt. I hunt a lot of edges. My son, he likes getting down in the woods a little more. My, my oldest boy that's in Alaska, he, um, he just started putting up his own stands this year because what he would do is he'd be working hard all summer. Well, he'd be gone all summer, but this year because of COVID, he only had got to go to Alaska for eleven weeks. But um, my my second oldest, we'd go out and put all the stands up, do all the prep work, and he'd and then come, he'd home, come and, home and reap the benefits. Yeah, exactly. He'd come home, and the one year he came home, and he said, "Dad, anybody hunting out this one spot? We call it Howie's. Is anybody hunting out of Howie's tonight?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "I think I'm going to go in there about eleven o'clock." And he gets back from Alaska towards the end of um, October, beginning of November. So the rut's just kicking in a little bit. And I said, 11 o'clock in the middle of the day this time? He said, why don't you wait another week? He said, no, I'm, I wanted to go hunt. And there was a buck out there I was getting pictures of pretty regularly. And I'd already passed. You didn't want to shoot that No, I, I, I passed him up a couple <laughs> times already. I, I said, you know, I was trying to just show him pictures of the deer so he'd be familiar with them before I went out there. Doesn't he go out there? He's in my stand 15 minutes. At 11.15, he shoots this buck goes about 30 yards and he's explaining it to me showed me on a picture he said that's the one i said oh okay that's fine you didn't shoot the big one he left me one <laughs> but uh he was happy and being a father of course i was happy and my my second oldest he gets a little more upset with it than i do i don't get upset with it you know you know you do stuff for your kids but he's like dad he comes home every year we're doing all the homework he gets up in the stand and shoots a deer he did two years in a row he did it and he did get a really nice one the one year out on one of my stands. And I was in this. I watched the whole thing happen. I was in another stand. But anyway, um, so we're ready to go. Just trying to find the right bucks. Yeah. That was like me in, in, in college. I went to college in Oklahoma City. Born and raised in Van Buren, Arkansas, which is about three hours. And so throughout college, I basically just had to rely on my dad. Now, my dad is one of these guys that will go out and just shoot deer. I mean, it's like, how do you do this? You know, how do you continually just find a set, set it up, shoot a deer that day? I had to rely on him. And the one time specifically that, that this all changed, I had called a, a, a friend of mine from back home. His name is Mike Fauché. He owned a, an auction lot there off the highway. And behind that auction lot, there's a cornfield, just a, just a little one-acre cornfield probably, just for him and his family and the church to come get corn or whatever. Everybody always asked him, dude, you got to let me hunt this because you can see it from the highway. You can see all these big deer out there. You can see it from the auction lot. So you're sitting at the auction and you can see all these deer out there. And so all these farmers and all these guys that said, you got to let me hunt this. And he had always said no. He had told us no several times. And I was sitting at college and I thought, I'm going to call Mr. Mike. 
So I called Mike and I said, hey, Mike, uh, I'm going to come home this weekend to hunt. Can I hunt that cornfield? He goes, yeah, you probably could. And I'm like, whoa, okay. And so I called down. I'm like, dude, Mike Foshe just gave us permission to hunt this cornfield. And he was like, I'm on my way. Yeah. <laughs> and so he drove out there. And this was probably just a Tuesday, maybe Monday, Tuesday. And I was going to hunt that Friday. And so uh, dad called me and said, well, I got to stay in hung. It's pretty good. I mean, it's going to be good. And so I go out there and uh, he tells me where the stand is for Friday. And so I go out Friday morning and I sit and I see several bucks, several does and no shot opportunities. Well, that night I went back and this stand had only been there since Tuesday. Dad did all the work. He cleared the shooting lanes. He hung the set. He, you know, he did everything for me, told me where to go. All I had to do is sit there and shoot. And, uh, and this was still early season. It was probably 90 degrees out. That afternoon I had went and I had caught my biggest bass to date, uh, to that day. It was like five pounds something. And, uh, so it was already a good day. You know, I was like, well, this is yeah. worth the trip. So I go back out that evening and I climb up the stand and I sit and, uh, it was right on a train track, right on a train track. And I hear some gravel sliding and I'm like, what the world is that? And within a matter of seconds, a big old buck was standing right there in front of me. Well, that buck had tried to side hill that, that, uh, train track and rock slid down. And so that buck was standing right there and I shot that deer. It was at like 11 yards. And, uh, so I called my dad and I'm like, dude, I just shot a monster. Of course for Arkansas, I think it was 127 and a quarter, but for Arkansas, that's a monster. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it ran off and I was a young bow hunter. I didn't start bow hunting. I think I was 17 when I started bow hunting. So I was a young bow hunter. Uh, I was just in college. I was 18 years old. It was my first year in college. And uh, I said, dude, I shot a monster. And so he come out there, and we found a broken arrow, but no blood. Not a drop of blood anywhere. So he calls his buddy. Um, he brings out his blood lights, and, and we track this deer, and we look for this deer everywhere, and no blood anywhere. So, of course, they're thinking, you didn't hit it like you thought you did, son. I'm, I'm just sorry. And I'm like, I hit the deer perfect. I know I did. And uh, I wasn't giving up. So I, we, we go across the creek where I saw him cross. I said, I know the deer crossed here. It's the only place for him to cross. And so I walk across that creek, and all I see is a and we had been looking for two and a half, three hours at this point, and all I see is a little white tail out of the brush. He had buried himself so deep in the brush that his tail was the only thing sticking out. He was laying there dead in the door now. Perfect shot. The arrow had broken off and plugged one hole, and yeah. then meat had plugged the other hole. And so there was not a drop of blood anywhere. But just he internally bled out. You know, he just swallowed up with blood. So that deer was dead in the doornail. But, you know, dad did all the work. I just had to show up and shoot. Yep. And uh, that very next night, I told my dad, I'm like, dude, there was a bigger deer. Not a bigger deer. There was a, a another big deer with him. Come in with him. And uh, it was a little bit younger of a deer, but still a nice deer. And so we decided to go out the next night. And I sat with my dad. And... uh set with him and that that deer come back out again and my dad i had told him this was kind of when when rage was just on the rise mm -hmm. and they weren't great <laughs> but i had bought into this hype of rage broadheads and that's what i had and i'm like dude you got to try this my dad shot like a 1964 hoyt i mean just he's one of those guys who hadn't spent the penny on but on bow hunting stuff and uh i said you got to try these these broadheads out so he screwed one on and uh well, his bow wasn't fast enough for that broadhead, period. Not even close to it. And that deer comes out and he shoots. And we find his arrow and only the broadhead went in. 
and it just fell back out, just bounced off of mm-hmm. me. And so my dad was just mad at me <laughs> for getting him to use that broadhead. He's like, why don't I just stink and use what I've used for 20 years and that deer be dead? We ended up shooting that deer later on and uh, that deer had broken off one antler. So he shot that deer and we called him all one horn. <laughs> but uh, he was actually um, he was actually the, what we believed to be the grandson of the buck I had shot the night before. Um, just identical rack. I mean, looked... A, and, and it was weird because one side of the rack was bigger and one side was like a short tine. Um, and so real distinct of a rack. Same characteristics. Same characteristics to the T. I mean, you can almost line the antlers up and they just look the exact same. Um, so just a cool story of, of, you know, my dad shooting a deer. We shot a deer together and just, yeah. it was a fun time, but he did all the work. I didn't have to do nothing. Yeah. Well, we've got him trained now, my son. He, um, since he didn't have to go to Alaska all summer because of COVID and, he was looking for some places to hunt, and um, I saw a spot where I was seeing some nice, driving around in the evening and saw some nice bucks, and I said, you know, go ask this lady right here if you can hunt on her property. I was going to ask her, but I thought, well, it's a good good place for him to go, and it's right around. Get his from, feet wet. Right around from where he lives, and he's got a buddy he lives with. He went to high school with him, and they they got they yeah they came up and borrowed a few of my stands and now i have no stands in my garage but um i was just happy that he was going out and putting some stands up and he was really getting into it and they were getting some cameras out and and scouting it quite a bit and he now that he's in alaska i was up at his at his uh, house where he lives at and his buddy that lives with him come out and show, say hey, you want to see some trail cam pictures and i said yeah well he started showing me his pictures and i'm like wow you guys Hit the jackpot. Yeah, you guys got a spot, and the lady is only letting them in there, and nobody else is allowed in there. So it turns out you should have asked for the permission. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm allowed, my son said, Dad, you can go in there and hunt my stands if you want, but I won't, you know. Yeah. I may hunt across the road in case they cross the road, but I'm not going <laughs> to go sit in his stands. Yeah, you know? so even though now he's doing his own work, he's still using your stuff. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. No, that's, I I mean, I, I, I miss... I miss getting to hunt with my dad. Um, I really do. And Kansas, uh, he put in for Kansas one year, but Kansas is a draw state only for non-residents. So he didn't get to come hunt with me. Uh, of course, hunting out of state, like I said, my dad doesn't spend a penny on hunting. And and it's, I think it's like 450 bucks for your out-of-state deer tag for Kansas. And so that's that's high. Yeah. Um, and so we don't get to hunt near as much together. Uh, I still, I, I enjoy getting to go back home and sitting in Arkansas with him and hunting. But it's just so much different there. Um the deer are nowhere near the quality. Um, but it's just that, that sentimental value of hunting with my dad, hunting where I grew up, hunting in the Ozarks. I mean, just, and they do it, they do it old school. They, they sit in tower blinds and they cut rows for 400 yards and they just wait for deer to step out in them rows and just shoot the deer. Yep. Just not near as fun for me. It doesn't get your blood pumping. When there's a deer at 300 yards, you pretty much just shoot it. But when that deer comes in at 20 yards with your bow, that's a different ball game, man. Yeah, for sure. Now, here's what I want to ask you. You said you do it the old school way, which I appreciate. What has changed about your hunting tactics over the years? What have you learned and what have you experienced that has changed uh, what you do? The, um, not so much maybe what I do, but, um, you know, I'm wearing different camo. Um, I remember my dad, he had the same camo that he bought back in the early 70s and he he said i don't need any stuff new stuff probably like your dad didn't want to spend exactly the money like my dad didn't want to spend the money 
he'd put it down and he had a little room down, down in our basement where he had his hunting stuff and musty and stuff that musty smell from a damp basement. Keep his clothes up there. I said, dad, you going to wash your hunting clothes? No, they work. I don't need to wash them. He'd go out in a ladder stand, a homemade ladder stand, 10 feet off the ground. And this is no lie. He had deer walk in front of him like he was in the best camo you could ever buy and the best scent you scent and elimination stuff. He never did any of that. Didn't play the wind. And he'd kill deer, you know. So sometimes you wonder, uh, what's he doing? Well, hey, it's like old Fred Bear said. Old Fred Bear. The best camouflage you can wear is to sit still and be quiet. Yep. That's it. Yeah. We put, I do think though, uh, there, there, there's a plus side to good camo and good scent control. And, and I, I practice it religiously. Yep. You know, we run our ozones, we, we spray down, we shower up, we do everything we can. But I do think sometimes we overcomplicate it. I think sometimes I miss the simplicity of going out and sitting in a tree stand. You know, being a kid with my dad, that is how my dad, my dad taught me Sit still and shut up, and they'll come. I mean, don't worry about anything else. Hunt yep. the wind. Sit still and be quiet. Yep. And, um, but yeah, my dad's the same way. We didn't, we didn't, my dad wouldn't have a bow. He would still be shooting that old 1964 Hoyt. Uh, one year for Christmas, we bought him a new bow. Um, and then last year for Christmas, his shoulders got so bad, um, I bought him a, a bear crossbow. Uh, we, we got him a bear crossbow. Me and my mom and my, my other siblings went in and got my dad a new bear crossbow, bear X crossbow. And he opened that for Christmas, just ecstatic as could be, because he he couldn't bow hunt. He had to take like two years off for bow hunting because of his shoulders, and so he missed that whole part of the season. Um, and so he got him that crossbow, and he's just he was over the moon and back. Well, then I got him some new camo, so he wasn't wearing old rags. Um, and then this last year, I got him a pair of Koa binoculars. Now Koa. Um, Co is a good friend of the show, and they make some of the greatest binoculars and spotting scopes known to man. And I got him these binoculars, and before that, he used you know whatever he used, some Walmart specials. And, and these binoculars are just, I mean, the highest quality binoculars you could imagine. And my mom tells me, she says, Dylan, he never takes those binoculars out of his truck. We'll be driving down the interstate, you know, in town, and he'll just pull them out and just start looking at buildings. Just <laughs> he just loves looking through them. Yeah. Um, but. To an extent, you got to, I mean, you got to just say, hey, kudos to you. You've used what works. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy that. Um, speaking of that, I made this declaration. What rest do you shoot on your bow? Is it a drop away? Drop rest, yeah. So I made this declaration um, a couple episodes ago. We were talking about the new, we were giving teasers for the new equipment coming out from Bear Archery this year. And uh, I made this declaration that I'm going to go back to a whisker biscuit because it works. It's simple. It works. I've went through this stage the last, I don't know, three years of just trying to simple, dumb things down, get back to what just simply works um, with camo, you know, with, with my bow, with whatever I'm using, tree stands, cameras, whatever. I want to go back to just simplicity, just not thinking about it, just shooting and enjoying hunting. Um, and so I'm going to go back to Whisker Biscuit. Are you? Yeah. Good. Yeah, they're nice. Nice I just, you know, I was, I, I've talked with several just big buck killers. I mean, just known big buck killers. Um, one of them uh, was David Blanton. Talked to David Blanton. He said, use a whisker biscuit. Talked to uh, Jeff Danker. Said, use a whisker biscuit. And uh, I was just thinking, well, I'm going to use a stinging whisker biscuit. These guys are big buck killers. They're using whisker biscuits. That's what I'm going to use. Uh, but, but no, what happened was we put so much technology on our bows 
And we put so much, again, we overthink everything. We overanalyze everything. And so I was using, using a drop away, um, using a, uh, a, um, trophy Ridge, um, drop away rest. And this year I had two times and it wasn't because it was trophy Ridge. It wasn't, I mean, it was just because of, it was a drop away. Well, I had problems two times with my bow. I was out shooting and just not hitting good, not whatever. And I'm like, there's something wrong with my bow. And both times it was my rest. And it was one of those times where I just threw my hands up and I'm like, that's it. I'm going back simple. I'm getting a whisker biscuit. Nothing can go wrong. Nothing can malfunction on it. Nothing can... They're simple. The whisker biscuit. They're simple. That's and they what work. I started my kids on is whisker biscuits. Yeah. And that's yeah. what... You know, I think I'm going to get my wife a new bow this year. I think I'm going to get my kid a new bow this year. And they're all going to have whisker biscuit on them because they're simple. They're easy to use. There's nothing complex about them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of the mindset I've been in the last three years of like, what can I simplify? What can I... What can I I mean, I'm wearing old school camo. I'm wearing, I mean, what can I simplify? What can I make easy about my life? And the whisker biscuit's just one of them. Yeah. Yep. Because, it, because like you said, we watch our dads and they keep everything simple, keep everything old school, and they kill deer. I mean, they kill big deer. Um, one time I was in college. I was in college and I was sitting in class. My dad calls me and I was sitting in class, so I ignored it. He calls me again. I'm like, well, oh well. I ignore it again. Calls me again. And I'm like, somebody might have died. I need to go get this. So I step out in the hallway. I'm like, what's up, dude? And he said, just shot a deer. Shot a doe. And I'm like, cool. I'm in class. I got to go. All right. Love you. So I hang up and go back in class. About 30 seconds later, he calls me again. And I'm like, ignore it. He calls me again. I'm like, what is up? You know, maybe now something happened. I know he's out in the woods with, with a firearm. Maybe something did happen. So I walk out. He said, just shot another doe. And I'm like, <laughs> Dad, I'm in class, dude. I got, <laughs> and so I go back into class. He calls me again, and I'm like, "Stop calling me." He calls me again. I ignore it. Calls me again. So I'm like, walk back out in the hallway. My teacher's getting mad at this point. I said, "What is up, dude?" He said, "Dude, I shot them two does five minutes later. An Eleven point walks out. I shot him too." <laughs> and I'm just thinking, "What are you doing down there, man?" And he was in Southern Arkansas, not where I, I grew up, Northwest Arkansas. His deer camp was in Southern Arkansas where the deer are just so incredibly thick. None of them are big. I mean, 100 pounds. None of them are big, but they're so incredibly thick. And he just shot these three deer within five minutes. And and it's just those guys that just keep it simple. Yeah. Probably yeah. like Woody. Woody probably doesn't overcomplicate anything, do you, Woody? Keeps it simple. Whisker biscuit. If Woody shoots a whisker biscuit, that's what I want to shoot. <laughs> I can't wait to go home and tell my kids I met Woody. They're going to think, well, where was Buzz? No. Um... So, before we go, share with us your best, doesn't have to be deer, doesn't have to be deer, uh, bear, it can be anything. What's your favorite hunting story to this date? I think I told you it already with my velvet buck. Deer in the cornfield. Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite Alaska hunting story? Well, uh, those are all good, aren't they? Yeah, they're all good. Um, Watching that guy get that moose was pretty neat. Seeing those those humongous horns coming down through the timber, and just amazing how big they are, huge. Um, yeah, there was a lot that went on in Alaska. Some neat stuff. I mean, we found sheds, but you don't you don't pick them up. They're heavy. Yeah, you don't. You're you're out hunting. You know, it's not like picking up a deer horn, and putting it in your right. pack. You wouldn't believe the sheds are up there, and they're green and mossy. They've been there for years and years and years. And um, now, how come they don't deteriorate? 
Oh, there, there's some deterioration on them, but I don't know if they don't have the, the chipmunks or rodents that are getting them or if it's too cold in the winter when they're coming right. off. But, you know, or maybe there's just so many of them. that, Or you're just high up, so high up. Maybe they're just not. Yeah. The yeah. squirrels and chipmunks aren't there. Yeah, I don't know what they're. We, I bet you we saw 30 of them. Moose horns. Most of my antlers, most of the sheds I find, it's because they've been run over by combines, tractors. You know, they get spit out and whatever else. And so they're all broken up and yeah. cut up and shredded up yeah alaska uh, you know when i when i was there i was a little younger but the flying airplanes i'm really not too too afraid of flying but some of those super cubs and you're going down a runway full of rocks with these big balloon tires and and the the pilots pumping this little must be a little choke thing on the as we were going we were taking off as we were going this mountain out in front of us it's like you're you're gonna get the altitude or you're gonna hit the mountain and he's, right. as we're going, he's got this little thing on the right side of his dash and he's just pumping it. And as the closer we get to the mountain, the faster he was pumping it. And I just closed my eyes and we made it out of there, but I didn't know what was going on, but we made it. <laughs> I bet that got your blood pumping. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we got two more days of bear camp. Um, do you think you're going to try to change anything about what you're doing the last two days? Not really. No, no. I think we're doing everything right. We just got to have the bears cooperate. I do think, you know, um, so tonight's our last night, um, and then tomorrow, I, I think if I don't harvest a bear tonight, I'll probably do an all-day sit tomorrow. Just see what yeah. happens. Yeah. It might pay off. Might not. Yeah, you never it might know. might be really bored, and it might not pay off, but got to do what I got to do. Uh, you know, I didn't drive 2,400 miles to not put in the best effort I can, so. Yeah. Um, well, guys, thank you for listening. I would encourage you, check out Lynx Taxidermy. What town is that in? Albion, Pennsylvania. Albion? Yep. Check out Link's Taxidermy in Albion, Pennsylvania. Uh, But thanks for listening. You guys have a great week.